0: I'm Greg. I'm the senior pastor at Woodland Hills Church, and it really is so good to see all of you. I'm glad you made the decision to come together and to worship God together. We'll be doing a little bit more of that later on and to hear the word. Uh, We are having our 15-year celebration next Sunday, November 11th, from 630 to 8 at night. And uh, that's our covenant partner meeting. Um, but it's also open to everybody. So I encourage you to come and be a part of that. Those, they're serving a meal at 5.30, a hot dog kind of a meal. And if you want to be a part of that, we encourage you to come. Uh, it's $5 per person, they're asking. But if you have a family, it's $20 for the whole family. So if you have 12 kids, you're going to make a really good on this deal. So uh, come, come and be a part of this. We're just going to tell a little bit of the story and then spend some time in worship, really thanking God for all that he, he has done and that he continues to do uh, here at Woodland Hills Church. It's been a beautiful, beautiful ride. And we're continuing our study of the book of Luke. And in the midst of our study of the book of Luke, as we're going through this book, uh, we're in the middle of a six-week series called Revolting Beauty. And we call it Revolting Beauty because the kingdom is about manifesting the beauty of God's character and the beauty of what it looks like when God reigns in an individual and a community. And in doing that, we revolt against everything in our life and in the world that's not beautiful. Everything that's not consistent with the kingdom of God. It's revolting beauty. And so this message is called the relational way because relationship is at the center of what the kingdom is about. I could have also have called this message, this is everything. Because folks, this is everything. What you're going to get in the next 35 minutes really encompasses everything the kingdom is about. This is the center of the center. This is the beginning, middle, and end of kingdom life. I'm not exaggerating. You'll see what I'm talking about here in a minute. So really be paying attention to this. And let the Holy Spirit take this and soak it into you. We're reading from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 28. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? The expert answered, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And, of course, love your neighbor as yourself. Pause for a moment. I, I really suspect that this guy got that information from Jesus because this is what Jesus always preached. But it wasn't a common teaching in the ancient world, in the ancient Jewish world. So I think he was giving back to Jesus what he knew Jesus wanted to hear. We'll see next week that, though he gave the technically right answer, his motivation and his way of looking at it was a little bit off. He was asking really the wrong question. But right now I want to emphasize what he got right. Because Jesus says, You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. This is everything. Uh, life in the kingdom is characterized by loving God with all your heart, mind, body, soul, and strength and loving your neighbor as yourself. That's so basic and yet it is so profound. What we're going to be saying here in the next 34 minutes now is going to be a review for some of you, but it's very, very important review because this is the message we come back at with some frequency. If you're new here, this is maybe the first time you've ever heard something like this in church. Uh, Wherever we're at in the Christian life, we need to hear this. And uh, so let's pray that the Lord opens our minds and hearts to receive what He has for us. Pray with me here for a moment, Father. I thank you for every person in this room right now, and I thank you for every person listening by, through podcast right now. And I pray, God, you open all of our eyes and all of our ears and all of our minds and all of our hearts to receive this. Lord, help us not to coast on this, thinking that we've got this one down and this is too basic for us, because Lord. We don't have this one down, and this is the all-important thing to get down. Open our minds and hearts to receive your word. Lord, give us your authority, not mine, and build your kingdom right here and right now. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Here's the whole message right here. If we get our life, our worth, our significance, our security, our identity from God's love being poured into us, then we respond by loving God with all of our heart, mind, body, soul, and strength. Out of that comes a love that we have for ourselves as people who are loved by God. And out of that comes an overflow where we love our neighbor as ourself. And if we do that 24-7, all the beauty that we're supposed to manifest will be manifested. And all the ugly stuff we're supposed to revolt against will be revolted against. This encompasses everything. This is the beginning, middle, end of kingdom life. Living in and out of and through the love of God. Now let's start by asking the question, what is love? What is love? Our culture is thoroughly, completely screwed up on this question. Uh, I mean, we use the word love to cover everything from what we think about our dog to what we think about our spouse. Uh, I love my dog. I love my spouse. But hopefully you don't love your spouse like a dog you kind of see the point. Uh, A lot of the songs that we hear on the radio use love in interesting ways. Love in an elevator. Loving it up while it's going down or something like that. Uh, Hello, I love you. Won't you tell me your name? Jim Morrison, The Doors. Hello, I love you. Won't you? Uh, What kind of love is that? So we're screwed up on love. Now here's part of the problem is that we have one word to cover a wide range of emotions, love. So we use it of our dog or our car and our spouse and, and sex. The Greek has four different words for love. And it's important to note the difference between them. First, there's the word storge, which is simply the word for affection or approval. Uh, it, it's the kind of love we mean when we say, I just love your hairdo. It is f- I love what you've done to the kitchen. I love it. Um, that's storge. I approve of that. I, I, we approve of hairdos and we approve of the way people do their kitchens or bathrooms or what have you. This other word, another word is phileos, which is the word for friendship. We, we, uh, we say it to our friends, our close friends, oh, I love you. Uh, but hopefully we mean something a little more significant than I storge you. Uh, I approve of you, because sometimes even with friends we don't store-gay or approve of what they did with their hair or what they did with the, the, the bathroom or, or, or even the way they behave. But we phileos them, it's friendship. Uh, a third word is eros. Oh, eros. This is romantic love. This is erotic love. This is the love that uh, spouses share together, and that's the only place where it should be shared. It's eros love. It's different than friendship love. Greg Erickson's a good friend of mine, but I'm not romantic with him. <laughs> I, uh, it, it's, so I say, I love you. See, if we were speaking Greek, I would say, I phileos you, but I wouldn't say, I eros you. No, there's a difference there. And finally, there is agape love. And it's different from all the, these three. It's the only kind of love that's universal. This is ascribing worth to another at cost to yourself. You communicate to a person what they're worth by how you sacrifice for them. This is self-sacrificial love. And it is the love that God has for us, and it's the love that we're to have towards all other people. It's the only kind of love we're to have towards all other people. There's no way you're going to storgate everything about everybody. There's no way you're going to have phileos towards everybody. You shouldn't be having eros towards everybody, but we're supposed to have agape towards everybody. The Bible describes agape not by giving us an abstract definition, but by pointing us to the person of Jesus Christ. He is the incarnation of Agape. And so it says this in 1 John. This is how we know what agape is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for one another. There you go. Be towards others what Christ is towards you. He sacrificed towards you. He ascribed unsurpassable worth towards you by dying for you. And our one job in the kingdom, it encompasses all other jobs, is to do that towards all other people to repeat towards others what God has done for us. This is God's dream, is that we would love as we've been loved and that we'd love out of the fullness of the way that he loves us. Here's, here's some diagrams that I hope will communicate what really is God's dream for humanity. It has been God's dream for humanity from the start. Someday it will be attained when the kingdom of God has fully come. But here's what it looks like. And I want to apologize up front to our podritioners who can't see these wonderful, beautiful, ingenious diagrams, but try to imagine them in your mind. Here we go. First, God is perfect, unsurpassable, eternal, full love. He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which is why we symbolize him with a triangle. From all eternity, God is love. 1 John 4, 8, God is love. Love isn't just something God does. Love is who he is. Now, we are made in the image of God. We're made in the image of the triune God. And that gets played out in a lot of ways. We have a threefold nature to us and other things like that. But the main way that we are made in the image of the triune God is that we're made for community, and we're made with the capacity to love like God loves. We're made for agape love. That's why we call this the relational way. Our essence is to be rightly related to God, ourselves, and others. Our essence is relational. When we go solo, when we do our own isolated thing in the world, we are really living against our nature because we are made in the image of the triune God. That's why it says in Genesis 1, when, when human beings are made, God says, let us uses the plural to make humans in our our image. We're made in the image of the divine community. We're made for community. That's why it says in Genesis chapter 2, it is not good for a human being to be alone. We're made for relationship. Now what God's dream is, is to pour himself into us. He creates us with this God-shaped vacuum. We have a hunger for him. And he creates us that way on purpose so that we crave him so that he can pour himself out. Out of the fullness of perfect, eternal love that he is, he wants to pour himself into us. And that is to be the source of our life, the source of our worth, the source of our security and our significance. It's it's to be rooted in the love that God has for us. And that love always looks like Jesus Christ, which is why Jesus Christ is the perfect expression of the love that God is. So we receive the life of God. In response to that, in God's ideal, we respond by loving God back. All of our life and worth and significance comes from Him, and so we mirror it back to Him. We lo- we're to love God. We're to agape God with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, and all of our strength. As we do that, an outflowing of, of, of that love for God is that we love ourselves. We love ourselves as people who are being loved by God. We, we, we agree with God. This is what it is to have him to be king of our life, he, to be of the dome in which, which, which he is king. We, we agree with him that we were worth God himself dying for. And so we love ourselves, And so we're dancing with God in his love. We dance with ourselves in, in response to that. We, we, we say yes and amen to what God has done in creating us and, and, and in dying for us. And out of the fullness of that love, we respond by loving our neighbor as ourselves. You can't love your neighbor as yourself the way God intends unless you're first loving yourself. And you really can't love yourself for the right reasons unless you realize that who you are is the artwork of God and the creation of God. You see the dance that's going on here. And so we overflow with agape love towards other people. In the same way that God overflows with his love towards us, we get filled up and overflow with love towards other people. This is why agape love, unlike every other kind of love, isn't about what we see in the other person. And it's not about what we get out of the other person. It's not about the other person as such at all. It's about who we are in responding to them. We overflow. It's a unilateral movement coming to, from God to us, and now from us towards them. So we overflow with love towards them. As we do that, in God's design, they'd be doing the same thing, so they'd be overflowing with love towards us. And we would be used to help each other love God, receive God's love, and overflow with one another. We're to be little microcosms uh, towards each other, as reminders of what God is towards us. And so the greatest act of love, as Soren Kierkegaard said in his book, work, 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 Works of Love, the greatest act of love is to help a person love God and be loved by God and then love themselves and then love their neighbor as themselves. As we do that, here's God's dream, the human community becomes a mirror of the Trinity. We are now dancing with the triune God. We're reflecting the glory of God. We're loving each other the way God loves us. Uh, God's love is now being done on earth as it is in heaven. And this is the goal of everything. Uh, we're participating in the divine nature, it says in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4. And, and, and so the, the, the love of the triune God has come to encompass us and we're dancing with God, we're sharing in his joy, we're sharing in his peace, we're sharing in his beauty. That's been the goal all along. One other thing, however, as we do that, as we're rightly related to God and rightly related to ourselves, and therefore rightly related to others, we now exercise the dominion that God gave us to exercise in Genesis chapter 1 where he says you have dominion over the animals and, and over the earth. Uh, our job is to extend God's love Towards ourself, towards our neighbor, and then towards all of creation. And in this way, the Lord is the Lord of all of creation, but he does it through us. And we reign with him on earth as it is in heaven. This, folks, is the kingdom of God. This is heaven. This is God's dream. And it's been God's dream from the start. And this is what we're to be building here on earth. Living in such a way that God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. And it always looks like the love of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus prayed this in in John 17. He says, Father, I pray that all of them may be one just as you are in me and I am in you. Just as. Look at that word. The the kind of loving unity that we have, I pray that it will be happening among them. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I in them and you in me. Look at all that kind of interpenetration going on that love that brings us on the inside of another, so that they may be brought to complete unity, the, the kind of unity that looks like God, because it's a unity of love. Then the world will know that you sent me. We're in a world that largely doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, and the way that they're supposed to come to believe in Jesus Christ is not by our clever arguments, but it's by our love. God can use clever arguments for sure, but they're supposed to see the love of God in us, Because it's reflected in the way we relate to one another and the way we reflect to them. And that draws them in on the love of God. That's the beauty that attracts. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Do you believe that you are loved by the Father just as he loves Jesus Christ? You're not loved by a secondary, derivative, watered-down kind of a love. You're loved with with the love that God is. The perfect, eternal, passionate love of God burns towards you without any delusion right this moment. No ifs, ands, or buts. And, and as, we, as we receive that, we begin to agree with God with that. We love ourselves, and then we love our neighbor as ourselves. And now the love of God is being done on earth as it is in heaven. This is the beauty that we're to manifest. And if we manifest this beauty, everything we're supposed to revolt against will be revolted against. It's been God's goal from the start, which is why you find this even in the Old Testament. In fact, when Jesus says we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, body, soul, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourselves, he's quoting the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, this takes on a new emphasis that it never had before. And I want us to grasp how central, how all-encompassing, and how important this is. For some of you, this will be an important review. For others, this may be entirely new. But listen to this. I'll I'll just underline a couple of the motifs that we find in the New Testament. First, we just read in Luke chapter 10 that, that uh, Jesus agrees with this expert of the law that love is the central command. In fact, elsewhere, Jesus says that love fulfills the whole law. If we love God, love ourselves, love our neighbors as ourselves, we fulfill the whole law. Everything that needs to be fulfilled will get done if we just do that. In fact, Jesus, in, Ma- in, in the Matthew version of this, Jesus says that the whole law hangs on this. In other words, what he's saying is that if we get this down, we get God's love, love God back, love ourselves, love our neighbor as ourselves, if we get that down, everything else we need to get down will be gotten down. But if we don't get this one down, it doesn't matter what else we we get down, it will be worthless. Everything hangs on reflecting the love of God. Paul says, or James says, it's the royal law because it fulfills the whole law. And Paul agrees in Romans 13. Paul also says, in Ephesians chapter 5, this has become sort of my life verse the last couple of years. Paul says, be imitators of God. He uses the word mimitai in Greek, which means to mimic. Mimic God, which we see in Jesus Christ. And then he says, here's what it looks like. Live in love as Christ loved you and gave his life for you. Live in love. What is love? Well, it's Jesus Christ. So live in love just as Jesus Christ loves you. You live in that love towards all people at all times in all situations. No ifs, no ands, no buts. Live in that love. That means there's no off switch to the love command. To live in something means that when you're breathing, it's the time to do it. When you're thinking, if you've got any brain waves whatsoever, it's the time to do it. Check your pulse. If there's a pulse, it's the time to do it. Doesn't matter who you're facing. Doesn't matter who you're looking to. Doesn't matter what they've done to you. Doesn't matter what they've said to you. Doesn't matter how ornery they may be or even if they're threatening your life. If you're alive, it is the right time to love them. Live in love, and love, agape love, always looks like Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul says, and just hear how radical this stuff is. Paul says, do everything in love. Everybody say everything. Everything. Now, I'm not the smartest man on the planet, but I do think that everything probably encompasses pretty much everything. It's just a guess. Everything you do is to be done to express agape love, which means if you can't express agape love in doing it, you're not supposed to do it. Everything that we do is to manifest in various ways agape love. The love we get, the love we apply to ourselves, and therefore the love that we apply to all other people. Everything we do. I often tell people, if you're in an argument— and uh, politics, religion, or whatever, and winning this argument becomes more important than expressing uh, God's uh, unconditional love to the person you're arguing with, then do the kingdom and the world a favor and shut up. Because it doesn't matter how right you are, if you're arguing in some motivation other than love, you're wrong. Okay, everything we do is to be done in love. Remember that next time you get into a heated debate. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 that it's the love of Christ that compels us. Why did Paul do what he did? Why did he sacrifice what he sacrificed? Why did he minister the way he ministered? You know, why did he do all that work? He says, it wasn't to get points with God. It wasn't to get credits from people. It was the love of Christ. Everything he did and everything we do is to be done manifesting the love of God, the love that we receive for free. In Colossians 3 and in 1 Peter, Peter and Paul both say, put love above all else. Put love above all else. Whatever other concerns you have, whatever other beliefs you have, whatever other obligations you have, whatever good things you have to do, put love above that. Above all virtues and above all doctrines, place love. Because you can do all the virtues in the world, but if you don't have love, it's worthless. And you can believe all the right doctrines in the world, but if you don't have love, it's worthless. Love is the single most important doctrine. To not, put it like this. This just occurs to me. Um, to not love like Christ loved you is the greatest heresy possible. <laughs> Here's what's wild. Throughout church history, you find millions of people being tortured and put to death by the Christian religion because they didn't believe the right things. They were off on their baptism, or they didn't give the Pope enough authority, or, or their view of the church was wrong, or, or what have you. They were tortured and killed. Because there are heretics. But you tell me, who's the greater heretic? The heretic who got killed or the heretic who put him to death? I submit to you that putting someone to death and torturing them doesn't reflect Christ-like love. Therefore, that is the greater heresy. Somebody say amen. I'm feeling lonely up here. Now that uh, kind of slams some of our heroes of faith throughout church history, but I'm sorry Uh, what's odd, what's bizarre, what's crazy to me is that given this emphasis in the New Testament, how is it conceivable that throughout all of church history you have these people being put to death for not believing the right thing about baptism or what have you, and yet no one that I know of, and I've studied this stuff a little bit, has even had their hands so much as slapped for not loving enough. Whereas as I'm reading this, uh, you can be right and all your doctors believe all the right things you want, but if it's not done out of love and doesn't communicate love, well then you're in the wrong. Saying a true thing, believing a true thing, but in an unloving way, is just another way of lying. Speak the truth in love. If you're not speaking the truth in love, well, to that degree, you're, you're lying. Uh, love is the thing that makes truth speaking a valuable thing. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, verses 1 through 3, this is his most radical statement. It, it's so radical. We read it at weddings all the time, so it's become sort of nice poetry. But the words he uses are just incredible. He says nothing has any value, no kingdom value at least, unless it's done out of love. He says you can speak in tongues with, uh, with Uh, of humans and of angels. And you can have faith that moves mountains. You command a mountain to move and it actually moves. And you can be able to do miracles and you can have prophetic gifts and and preaching skills that bring crowds into laughter and tears in a split second. And, and, And you can have all knowledge and understand all mysteries and do all the good deeds in the world. But if you're not doing it out of a fullness of love for the purpose of communicating love, agape love, then Paul says it's a clanging cymbal. It's a noisy gong. It's worthless religious junk. Be done with it. Love is the all or nothing of kingdom life. It's the, what gives everything else value, which is why I encourage folks, when, you look, when, you're, when you're considering on participating in a ministry, whether it's a church or some other ministry, uh, you need to ask questions like, do they believe what I agree with, do, You know, and, and, and do they have the right doctrine as I understand it, and those kind of things, yes. But the most important criteria to evaluate every ministry with is this. Is it characterized by that sweet humble, sacrificial love expressed on Calvary? Does it look like Jesus? And if it doesn't look like Jesus, if it's not being manifested, if it's not manifesting the beauty of, of God's love, where Jesus Christ dies on the cross praying for the criminals that are crucifying him as he's dying with his last breath, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. If that kind of love isn't, isn't permeating the, that, that ministry, I I encourage you to move on and consider some other ministry because that's not the kingdom. The kingdom isn't defined only by having a certain set of beliefs and advocating a certain set of behaviors. Most importantly, the kingdom is about manifesting a kind of life. And that life is the life of God revealed in Jesus Christ. And you can have all the right beliefs in the world. Your eschatology is perfect, I'm sure. Your view of biblical inspiration is is the right one, undoubtedly. And your understanding of the Trinity and the Incarnation and holiness living and all the rest can be wonderful, good, and true. But if there's not a spirit of love that's fueling that, it's altogether worthless. It's the worst form of heresy. Move on, run away from that, and invest in something that does reflect the the love of Christ. Love is the all or nothing. That's why Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, The only thing that counts is faith energized by love. Unbelievable. It's an incredible statement. Everything centers on ascribing unsurpassable worth to others, sacrificing for others, being Christ-like to others. No ifs, no ands, no buts. It even includes our enemies, as Jesus specifically teaches us in the Gospels. We're to manifest the beauty of God's perfect love flowing into us, applied to us, and flowing through us to others. And when we do that, we manifest the beauty of who God is. The triune God is now being revealed on earth as it is in heaven. And as we do that, everything that we need to revolt against will be revolted against. We've talked in this series about a number of things in the culture and in the world that we, we need to press up against and swim upstream on and, and be countercultural with and revolt against. And the reason why those things are revoltable, uh, that we need to revolt against them, and this really defines what sin is is because each of those things in some way hinders the love of God flowing to us, our love of God flowing back to God. It hinders our ability to love ourselves as ones who are loved by God. And or it hinders our ability to love all other people, no ifs, ands, or buts. So let me look at some of the isms and some of the things that the kingdom revolts against and show how the, the reason why they are against God's will is because They come against God's dream for humanity to be dance partners with the triune God. So, for example, individualism. Individualism, we've talked about, it's it's when you define yourself, the, the, the individual that you are, you define yourself over and against God and over and against others rather than being in relationship with God and in relationship with others. Individualism is going the solo way rather than the relational way. And the reason why we need to revolt against it is because we can't experience God's agape love for us if we define ourselves over and against God. And we can't express God's agape love for others if we define ourselves over and against others. You can only do this if you understand that your very essence is created to be rightly related to God and rightly related to others. And so this individualism that is rampant in our culture, that causes people to isolate themselves from others because it's just more convenient to do that, to stand up for your rights uh, before you put the interests of others uh, into your mind, that individualism is not beautiful. It's ugly. And it revolts against the, the, the beauty of the kingdom of God. So we have to revolt against it by how we live. Materialism also rampant in our culture. It's about getting some element of our worth and significance and security by the wealth that we accumulate as we hoard resources. When we hoard resources while there are others who don't have enough resources, that's greed, that's materialism. And, and that is something that kingdom people need to revolt against in the way that we live because it blocks us from getting all of our li- life from the love of Jesus Christ. If you are to any degree getting, getting life from the things that you own by the niceness of your house and the niceness of your car and the, how, what good clothes you wear, if you're getting life and worth and significance from that, to that degree you're not getting life from Christ. And you can't give what you don't have so you can't receive that, that love so you can't be, be uh, passing out that love. It blocks us from getting all of our love from Christ and keeps us from expressing agape love for people who are in need. So we revolt against it. Naturalism. spoke about this last week. This is the worldview that the only thing that's really real is the physical world. And we believe, of course, in God and Jesus and angels and demons. We believe in the supernatural. But to the degree that we're influenced by the naturalistic worldview, then we don't experience those things as real. And see, that hinders this flow of love into us and through us because it hinders our capacity to experience God's transforming love flowing into us and hinders our love for God, ourself, and others. God has to be real to us on, on a daily basis for us to be receiving and therefore giving this kind of love. So naturalism is something we revolt against. It hinders this dance that is God's dream for the world. Here's another thing we revolt against. Religion. This is a big one. Religion, at least as I use the term, always embraces a sub-Christ-like view of God, a God that's less beautiful than the real God. And because you're trying to live for a God who's not beautiful, uh, you will, it will hinder your capacity to get life from that God. So religion blocks the flow of God's unconditional love flowing to us and hinders our own love for God, ourselves, and others. When you're trying to serve a God who's not unsurpassably beautiful, to some degree, you'll be getting life not from God, not, not, not that unconditional life. You'll be getting your life from the rightness of your beliefs and the rightness of your behavior as you, the special person of God, are impressing God. And when you're getting life from the rightness of your beliefs or the rightness of your behavior, you invariably will contrast yourself with others who have the wrong beliefs and the wrong behavior. And now you become a judger rather than a lover. And that is not beautiful. It doesn't manifest the beauty of the kingdom of God. Religion is something we're called to revolt against. There's another one, Racism which is simply getting life from your particular ethnicity in contrast to others. That's another form of judgment. And to the extent that we're, hind- that we're plagued and polluted with that, well, obviously we can't manifest the beauty of God's kingdom. It hinders manifesting agape love for people of other ethnicities. But agape love, by definition, is unconditional and all-embracing. Here's another thing we revolt against. Non-covenantal sex, which is simply sex outside of the marriage covenant. It's using people for sexual pleasure. This hinders the, the beauty, the manifestation of the beauty of, of, of the kingdom because it blocks the flow of God's love to us. All sin, to some degree, affects the flow of God's love into us and blocks our expressing agape, self-sacrificial love to those that we're sinning with. It is not an act of love to be having sexual intimacy in a way that is, is, disfavors God. Uh, you're in, instead of helping them love God and receive God's love, which is what we're supposed to be doing at cost to ourselves, we're pleasuring ourselves with them and, 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 and harming them. So one of the things we do as kingdom people is to live in covenantal uh, relationship with God and in obedience to his word, and therefore use sex for the, for the right reasons and in the right context. And finally, here's another thing we revolt against, and this is just a sampling of this stuff. but We're called to revolt against the idol of nationalism which is just getting life from our particular nation. It's when we have our core worth and significance and security rooted in our being Americans, for example, rather than being rooted exclusively in the fact that we're children of God and we're citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And see, the reason why this is something we revolt against is that it hinders our capacity to have agape love even for our national enemies. To the extent that we've bought into and get our worth and security and identity from our nation, we will find it impossible to have agape love towards our national enemies. I want to hover on this one a little bit because I think it's huge. Um, A friend of mine has this ministry called Heavenly Sanctuary. And they host conferences around the country on the character of God and they got it down right. They really have a vision for the character of God. And this last year he... uh, Uh, hired an artist to paint a picture to use on posters that would advertise his conference on the character of God. And it was interesting. Here's the picture. Podrishoners, this is Jesus washing the feet of some of our world leaders, uh, including Osama bin Laden. And now here's, here's, here's the story. Of course, this comes out of John 13, where Jesus, in fact, knowing that he'd come from the Father and was going to the Father and knew what was going to be happening to him very shortly, knowing that he had all the authority in the world, what does he do with it? In John 13, it says, he got on his knees, put a towel around his waist waist, and washed the feet of his disciples, whom he knew were going to betray him and deny him in the next several hours. That's what you do with omnipotent power. That's the character of God. Now, this poster went up all around Seattle. Maybe some of you heard about it because it got in the news. Um, By the end of the day, the malls, six malls who had uh, contracted out to to give them space to advertise this conference took the posters down because the outcry was was so, the the calls just came flooding in, mostly from Christians who were offended by this picture. And maybe right now some people here are offended by this picture, but I want you to continue to look at it. Um, In fact, the Christian college that was to host this conference dropped them and said, we're not going to host your conference. So they had to go to a secular venue which, ironically enough, had no problems with this poster. Now, he, he, here's the thing. What is this saying? Jesus, this, get your mind around this. Jesus died, the Bible says, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. Jesus died not just for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. Jesus, God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. God's not willing that, every, that, that anyone should perish, but wants all to come to repentance. He wants to be the savior of all people. I'm quoting scripture here. So if Jesus died for all people, I'm thinking that means he died for Osama bin Laden. And if Jesus died for Osama bin Laden, how could anyone balk at the idea that he would wash his feet for crying out loud? Well, what's going on here? Amen. And what's going on here, folks, I'm afraid, is that Some Christians have allowed their their nationalism to replace their their allegiance to the kingdom of God. They're they're, they're getting life and security from the fact that they belong to this nation rather than from the fact that they're citizens of the kingdom of God. The Bible commands us to consider ourselves to be exiles and foreigners in any nation we live in because our real citizenship is in heaven. But what But if you, in fact, are getting some element of your life and your worth and significance from the fact that you're an American, and I'm all for feeling good about being an American, but don't make it an idol. Don't make it a source of life. And if it is a source of life, you'll find it impossible to express agape love towards a national enemy like Osama bin Laden. And What's happened to a lot, apparently, judging from this protest that came with these posters, is that some people wanted Jesus who hates their national enemies as much as they do. They, 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 they want, and we've had this throughout history, they, what they want is a tribal deity who is more on our side than on their side and will fight our causes and do our battles instead of the beautiful, magnificent, universal Lord that we in fact have. Folks, we need to take great care that our allegiance is to the kingdom of God first. Seek first the kingdom of God, that all of our life and worth and security uh, comes from Jesus Christ and nothing else. Because only then can we authentically express agape love to all people at all times, no ifs, ands, or buts, including our national enemies. This is the kingdom of God. And as we manifest the beauty of the love that comes to us, we manifest it back to God, we apply it to ourself, and we apply it to all others as ourselves. we manifest the beauty of the kingdom of God and revolt against all that is ugly in this world. And it looks like washing the feet, even of our very worst enemies. Close your eyes for a moment. I want to ask just a couple questions here. Ask the Holy Spirit to be moving here and to reveal to us what we need to know. And be honest with yourself. First question is this. And Holy Spirit, help us to be honest here. Are you getting your core worth, significance, and security from Jesus Christ? From what God thinks about you as evidenced by Calvary? Or Is there a part of you that gets life, worth, significance, and security from the fact that you're American as opposed to some other nationality? Or from the fact that you have such a nice voice, or you're so pretty, or you're so sexy, or your car is so cool, or you have this talent or that talent, or you're so religious, or at least you're not sinners like those people? That's an idol. And If you sense that you, in fact, are trying to get life from an idol rather than from Jesus Christ, will you right now just tell the Lord you're going to relinquish that idol and ask the Lord to help you stay free of idols as the Bible commands. Let it go. And recommit to getting all your worth and security and significance from Jesus Christ. Do your work, Holy Spirit. A second question. Do you agree with God that you were worth God dying for? Do you agree with God that you have unsurpassable worth? Do you love yourself for the right reasons? What it means to be a kingdom person is that God reigns in our life, and that means we agree with him. Even if it doesn't feel natural to us, Will you right now agree with God that you have unsurpassable worth? Because the God who knows you better than you know yourself was willing to pay an unsurpassable price tag for you. And if there's parts of your mind that don't agree with that, voices from the past, what your dad said, what your mom said, what your grandmother said, what the the nasty kid on the bus in sixth grade said, or, or whatever, will you just, in your heart, resolve that they are lying and that what God says is true? Agree with God. Receive God's love for you and agree with him on that. And third, are you living in love as Christ loved you and gave his life for you? Just be honest with yourself. Has racism or nationalism or religion or some other thing polluted your capacity to love unconditionally. Can you authentically obey Jesus and bless your enemies and pray for your enemies rather than wanting to see vengeance on your enemies? And if you find that to some degree you are polluted, will you just right now ask God to help you love like he loves? You can't do it on your own. Ask him to fill you up. You can't be your own source of love. You can only be a cup that gets filled up and then overflows. And if you can't express agape love towards Osama bin Laden, it's just evidence that your cup isn't full yet. Ask God to fill you up. Ask God to fill you up. So that you, with Jesus, can pray, Father, forgive him. He knows not what he does. Seal this on our hearts. Seal this on our minds, Holy Spirit. You are that radical. You are that beautiful Help us to be that radical and that beautiful. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Amen. Yes. That's the kingdom, folks. That's the kingdom. We're now going to do a very central kingdom thing, and that is obey the first part of this command, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, body, soul, and strength. And when primarily we do that, that, ascribe worth to God is through singing and celebration. And so I want us here to all make a decision to put all other considerations to the side and use this as a time to ascribe worth to God. Worship is about a focus in the now. It's focusing in the now. So I want, us to, I want to encourage us to enter into the sacrifice of praise and put all other concerns aside and think about who we're singing to and what we're singing about. Envision him in your mind. This first song that we're going to worship God with is a song about being around the throne of God. It's a song that anticipates what we'll be doing throughout eternity when we're before the throne and, and, and people of every tribe and every tongue are there and we're singing with the angels in heaven. Because the truth is that right now we are singing with the angels of heaven and we are right now before the throne of God. And our job is to manifest now what will be true later on. So I encourage you to envision that in your mind. And lift up the beautiful Lord. We'll start by taking up an offering because that is the ultimate act uh, act of praise. We ascribe worth, agape, to God and his kingdom by our sacrifice. So we'll take up an offering and at the right time, Norm will have a stand and we'll enter this this time. So Holy Spirit, flood this place. Draw our eyes towards you and help us with every ounce of our being. Now worship you because you are worth that. change us and kingdomize us right here, right now in Jesus' name. Amen. good you're a cup i'm a cup and god wants to just pour himself into that cup so we overflow and god is able through his grace to make you abound and it's just about overflowing i just pray that you overflow with love back to god throughout the week with love towards yourself throughout the week with love towards your neighbors with love towards your enemies throughout the week freely you have received freely give that's what jesus says we get it for free and so we give it for free. And that, folks, is the beauty of the kingdom. Amen. It's the beauty of the kingdom. And I'd like to ask our prayer teams to come up here. And if you have any need whatsoever uh, that you would like to have prayed for, whatever the need may be, I encourage you to come up here and spend a little time with these folks. Or if you just want to kneel at the altar, uh, that, that's fine as well. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you've never surrendered your life, you need to. And I encourage you to come up here and talk to these folks. And they'll just uh, lead you in, in, in the commitment that starts your kingdom walk. So Lord, as we leave this place, we pray, God, that we would increase in our capacity to freely receive you in all of your magnificent, beautiful love. We pray we'd increase in our capacity to apply this to ourselves and revolt against all the lies we've been told and then to apply it to every other person we come in contact with. Help us to be people who just manifest Jesus to all people at all times in concrete, sacrificial ways. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said one last time, God bless you guys. Go out and build the kingdom. Amen.